tell you the story that we're going to talk about this weekend is a story that Jesus told. A story that actually happened right about here. It was something that might have actually happened. It's a story that they were familiar with. Check it out. This guy, it says, this is Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. It says, he told them parables, and this is his first one. It said, a sower went out to sow. You see that guy? You see that he's wearing that hat like Matt Bates, right? That, that hat right there. I don't know if back then they had hats like that, but this guy is a sower. What he's doing is he's throwing seed on the ground. Then Jesus said, as he sowed, some of the seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. You can kind of imagine if you're throwing seed everywhere, some of it's going to get in places you don't want. One of the places that you don't want to put seed on is the ground, on the hard path. So some of it falls there. Other seed that was thrown fell upon rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up. Since, but since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked the plant. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus told stories that were called parables, and I want to talk about what these are. We're going to study one parable this weekend, but in this one parable, I'm going to, can I switch to a handheld mic? I'm going to do that. Check, check, check. All right, there we go. All right, cool. Let's get rid of this. All right, um, we're in a tail now. Sorry about that. All right, what an introduction that was. That was fun. Jesus told a story. He didn't usually tell stories, actually. It wasn't his favorite way of teaching, but it's something that Jesus started doing at some point in his ministry. And I want to talk about this because Jesus didn't just tell stories for no reason. Sometimes when people look at these stories, these parables, they have some ideas about them. Some people just say, whoa, I was way behind. That's why, never mind. All right. There's he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That was, that was funny. There you go. That little guy. Um, parables. I want to talk about this. It's on the top of your page. There's a lot for you to write down tonight because what I want to do right now is just get the groundwork for what we're going to be talking about this weekend. We're going to be, we're going to be talking about some, th- whoa, um, we're going to be talking about parables this weekend. Actually, we're only going to be talking about one parable, but in order to understand this one parable, it's helpful to study what parables are and what parables are not. First thing I want you to write down is one idea about a parable, actually two ideas. Two ideas, those are your first lines on that point number one. First, first idea for what parables might be are cute stories. Sometimes when I start sermons, I tell you about the water leaks that happened in my house. Sometimes I say weird ticks that I picked up from Alexandra. Sometimes I tell you stories about golf. One time I almost died um, on a golf course in a golf cart. You remember that? You might say, you might just tell those stories just because he wants people to know he's a weirdo, right? That's not exactly why, but I would want you to know that it's not just a cute story. Just like Jesus' stories aren't just cute stories. Another thing that they're not, that some people maybe think that these stories are, are a really complex, hard-to-understand story. Some people look at these parables and say, wow, there's a bunch of hidden meaning in every little word, right? Sometimes they'll look at the soils and they'll try to figure out little meanings of, oh, uh, the sower, he must have been, you know, 
he must have looked like Matt Bates. He must have been, wow, he was wearing the hat. Like, they try to find these little details, and they try to blow it up out of proportion, right? I want to tell you tonight that a parable is neither those two things. What you can do is you can cross out those things, those uh, subpoints. You can cross those out. I don't want you to think a parable is any of those two things. It is not just a cute little story for no reason. It's also not a complex story that Jesus tells with a whole bunch of hidden secret truths. Right? Sometimes you'll read um, about like Aesop's fable, right? You know, Aesop's fable, it's all these little stories about, uh, you know, my favorite one is uh, the sour grapes one. You ever hear about that? Where there's a fox and, and he can't reach the grapes, so because he can't have it, he says, oh, those grapes must be sour. And sometimes you use phrases like that and say, oh, you have sour grapes. You just don't like it because you don't have it. Right? We tell those stories, and it's a cute story, and that story is intended to teach a meaning, but hidden in that story is a bunch of things that are not true. What a parable is, as you can see right up there, is just one short story. That's all a parable is. It's a short story. They're not big, long stories, but they teach one big eternal truth. In these stories, they're called real-life stories, and I want you to write down that they're real-life stories. That's the, that third bullet point, if you didn't get, already get that. Parables are short, real-life stories. That's what they are. We talked about, are they cute stories? Are they big, complex stories with a bunch of different points? No. What they are, that third subpoint for that number one, is here's the truth of what they are. They are a short, real-life story. Everything about a parable that we're going to read tonight and what I already read to you and we're going to study tonight could have actually happened. Doesn't mean it did happen, but it could have happened. Just like if I told you a story, if I gave you an example tonight of imagine a man went to Trader Joe's. He went to Trader Joe's and he tried to find his favorite snacks, but alas, he couldn't find his favorite snacks because everything at Trader Joe's was taken or I can tell you a story about going to Costco. You go to Costco, and there was no toilet paper to be found for my family going to Costco, right? Now, is that true? It's actually not. I didn't go to Costco. But it's a real-life story that could have been true. You see that? That's what these parables are. They're real-life stories. It doesn't mean they happen, but they totally could be true. And this one could be true as well. I want us to understand what is a parable. What is a parable? Well, the disciples actually asked that question. He asked, why do you teach in parables? So I want you to grab your Bibles. I want us to turn to this passage finally. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. We're going to be in this passage pretty much the whole night tonight. That's what all we're going to study is what this parable is all about. What's a parable? It's a short, real-life story. It could have been true. That's meant to teach one eternal truth. Not a thousand, not a million, not five, not ten, but one truth. That's the idea here. Matthew 13 Verse 10, just told you that these disciples were kind of confused because after Jesus has been teaching all these, these straightforward truths, he started breaking out a story about a guy throwing seed everywhere. I'm like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? What if I just got up here and didn't say anything about God, anything about Jesus, I just started talking about, I just started about farming. Right? And I said, hey, all right, tonight open up to, uh, you know, pull out your phones, Google, Wikipedia, uh, best farmland. What we're going to talk about tonight is farmland. You'd be like, what is happening? What did John do? It's different, right? That's kind of how these disciples felt. So look at what verse 10 says. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus. They came to him, and they said, why do you speak to them in parables? So first thing to notice is that they know what parables are, okay? 
They know what parables are. Parables were actually something that some of the Jews at that time, they actually used. Jesus was not the first person to use parables. He's just the guy who picked up on the parables. And obviously, you don't know any parables that were told by anybody else. I don't know any parables. Jesus has the most famous parables. But he picks up on this. Verse 11 says, And Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. It's interesting. So when I tell stories, when I tell illustrations, for me, it's not meant to make the truth harder for you to get, right? Some of you were talking about your height tonight. Colin Hammerman is about six feet tall now, right? Something like that. Kyle's about six foot one. Is that right? He passed me up. Kyle, did you pass me up? You six foot one? Yeah. Uh, some of you are not. Some of you seventh grade guys still got some growing to do. You know who that, yeah. Okay, well, Braden waved at me, so there you go. Um, you know who you are? I'm, I wasn't even thinking about you, Braden. We got some others. Um, if I wanted to make something harder for you to get, I could put it on a higher shelf, right? That'd be pretty mean, right? Sometimes, does your mom ever get stuck, like, reaching for the higher shelf, and then your dad has to come in and, like, get it, or your grandpa or whatever? Yeah, anyway. Um, I don't know, your grandpa probably doesn't do that. I was just thinking of a person who might be taller than your mom, um, Maybe your older sibling, your older brother, right? Here's the deal. One of the things that Jesus says here is Jesus said it actually, telling these stories, did not take the truths and put them on a lower shelf that were easier to get. He put them on a higher shelf. By Jesus telling these stories, he actually was trying to do the opposite of what I try to do when I tell illustrations. I'm trying to put it on a lower shelf that was easier for you to grasp. These truths are not put on a lower shelf. When Jesus tells parables, he's actually putting them on a higher shelf. He's actually, he's actually purposefully shutting the door for some people. Some people are like, don't want to take Jesus seriously. It's like, fine, I'll tell you some stories. And they're like, I don't want to listen to your story. That doesn't make any sense. That's not spiritual. That's not godly. I'm going to stop listening to you. He puts them on a higher shelf. Verse 12, check it out. Verse 12 says, for the one who has... More will be given. This is Jesus talking about these secrets of the kingdom of heaven, which we'll talk about in a minute. It says, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. It's interesting. We talk about these parables. We've got to ask this question and try to answer this question. Why does Jesus preach in parables? It's a little bit confusing, isn't it? You'd think that Jesus would want to make things easier for his people to understand. But in fact, he says he's actually making it harder for some people. He's actually saying the truth that we're talking about in these parables is easy for some people and really hard for other people. You might ask, why would Jesus do this? I've asked that question a few times. I want you to turn back in your Bibles one chapter to what happened earlier that day. Matthew chapter 12. Turn back probably just one page for you. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Matthew 12, 22. Something happened that day that changed Jesus' preaching style. It was such a big deal, and Jesus took it so personally that he said, I'm done teaching the way I used to teach. I'm going to teach a different way. Kind of something crazy happened here. Matthew chapter 12, hope you're there. Verse 22 says that a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus. Okay, so this guy who, at this point in time, Jesus had a reputation for being able to heal people with crazy diseases. Something happened with this guy where there was actually a, a fallen angel, a demon, was infested in this guy's life, operating him, like, you know, a hand in a puppet, doing weird stuff. Right? 
He was oppressed, and he was actually blind and mute, so he couldn't speak. That's what mute means, and he was blind, totally weird, spazzing out, doing odd things. It says he was brought to Jesus, and he healed him. So the man spoke and saw. So he was blind, and he was able to see. He was mute, and then he started talking. All the people were amazed. People were freaking out. The common people, they see this thing. It's like, this could only happen if this person is powerful. They're looking at Jesus. People said, can this be the son of David? That's shorthand for, can this person, can this Jesus guy, can he really be that person who was promised over and over in the Old Testament? Maybe this is him. Maybe this is the Messiah, the guy who was talked about in the Old Testament that was going to be the the king of kings. He was going to come from David's line. Maybe this is him, right? So far, so good, right? Well, the next verse, so far, so bad. Here's what happened in the next verse. It says, but when the Pharisees heard it, they were people who were smart, religious people. They heard what was going on with Jesus, and they said, it is only by Beelzebub. Probably not a word you use this week. Are you ever call anybody Beelzebub? Just Nathan. Okay. Um, Beelzebub, right? You might not use that phrase. You might not even know what that word means. What that word means, as you can see right there, is the prince of demons. He says, the Pharisees get together, and they say, this is how Jesus cast out this demon, because he works for Satan. That's how he did it. That's the only explanation. He can't work for God. He must work for Satan, right? Imagine, in that situation, you just saw this demon-possessed guy. This guy was blind, mute, totally messed up, spazzing out. You see Jesus come on the scene and heal this guy. And then the people that you look up to, the religious people, they say, he works for Satan, This is a huge deal. After that, look at verse 25. If you're in that passage, Matthew 12, the next verse Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. What he's saying here is, you shouldn't have done that. shouldn't have blamed this thing that I did, this good thing that I did to help this guy. Don't blame that on Satan. It wasn't Satan. That was my power. What happened is, in chapter 13, the new chapter we just started, verse 1, I want you to check that out. Turn back to Matthew 13. Look what it says. It says, in the same day. So, this has all happened in this one day. In the same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the sea. He's sitting by this big lake. It says, when he gets to this big lake, he starts telling a story. He doesn't give any preface. He doesn't give any introduction. He just tells a story about this guy throwing seed. Can you see how you might be confused at this point? You might be like the disciples, like, why is he teaching in parables? Here's what I want you to get. The Pharisees essentially did this to him. He said, no. They said, you got, you got the virus. No, all right, don't hang out with me. Um, actually said something a lot worse. They said, you're, yeah, right, no, it's not a high five. That's a rejection, right? If you don't know what that, that visual graphic means, it means no, not going to be your friend. The Pharisees did something much worse than that. They actually said, you work for Satan, right? This is the point in time that when we look at the Bible, we see a big turning point in Jesus' ministry. Officially, this is the time where Jesus said, okay, fine. He never at this point again calls on the Pharisees to repent. At this point, it, it's done. It's just you're going to be judged. This is the end for them. This is the end. Because Jesus said, you guys rejected me. This is, it's over for you guys. Why Jesus preach in parables? Well, first of all, it was judgment for people who were self-righteous. Now, I want you to think through people who were in the audience for Jesus when he's telling this parable, right? 
You could have had religious people. You could have had uh, Pharisees. You could have had common people. You could have had people who were amazed by Jesus. You got all these people in this crowd. And when Jesus tells parables, like I said, he doesn't take the truth and put it on a lower shelf. He actually puts it on a higher shelf for people. You might say, that seems a little harsh, right? Go back to verse, what did I leave off? Verse 13. It says, after speaking in parables, this is why I do it. That seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. This is what I left on, off on right here. If you look at verse 14, it says, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. So, something that happened in the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, this applies to our situation now. It says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Right? Could you imagine seeing Jesus do miracles? Right? Have you ever thought about how, like, why didn't everyone just become a Christian? Think about it. When you talk to non-Christians and you say you believe in God, what do they always say? Well, you know, if he did a miracle, maybe I believe in him, right? Don't they say that? Right? Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you've thought, I don't know if God exists. I don't really know if Jesus is the only one. I don't know if this is all true. But I bet you thought at some point in your mind, well, if he did a miracle, I would believe him, right? That's a common thing to think. Well, here's the deal. The people who saw the miracles said, no, you're just a magic show. No, you work for Satan. They gave all these excuses. When Jesus told parables, it was judgment. It was, I'm done speaking to you plainly. I'm going to take a different path. Verse 15 says, for the people's hearts have grown dull. Right? They've heard the truth. They've heard the truth. And now their hearts, the thing that receives truth about God, it's dull. It's not even receiving anything anymore. It's like a pencil, right? You know when a pencil gets dull? Right? You guys even use pencils anymore? Right? I used to use pencils. You guys still have the, the uh, pencil sharpeners in the wall that like have no bottom, so you got to do it over a trash can? You guys still have those in your schools? No? Okay, yeah, cool. Good. You don't use them, but you have them. That's good. We used to use those. And, and when you use the pencil for long enough, what happened? The, the point doesn't get any pointy. It, it all goes out on the paper, and it gets dull, right? He says, your hearts, instead of being receptive... And being willing to listen, they've grown dull over time. They've been hearing truth after truth, sermon after sermon, and for them, seeing miracle after miracle. Right? Did their faith grow, or did their faith get worse? Faith got worse. Right? You might say, well, I've never seen any miracles, so that takes me off the hook. Well, here's the deal. This prophecy that he's talking about was to Isaiah. Right? The guy named Isaiah in the Old Testament, he was given this prophecy by God. Isaiah was not a miracle worker. He was a preacher. And his job, and this quotation actually comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 6, 9 and 10 is this quote that Jesus is using. And the context of this is God says to Isaiah, hey, I want you to be my prophet. Isaiah says, okay, here am I, send me. The very next verse, God says, oh, hey, by the way, Isaiah, I'm going to give all this stuff for you to preach. I'm going to give you all these sermons. Guess what? Nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to listen. I'm going to give you all these sermons to preach to the people and they're not going to listen. And you know why I'm doing that? Because they've sinned against me time and time again. Their hearts have grown dull. You're going to preach so that for God, God can say, I've given you the truth. I've given you the truth. And the reality is, the sad reality is not that many people in Isaiah's day listened to his preaching. They could have said, hey, I want a miracle. I want this. I want that. But a lot of them didn't listen. Most of them didn't listen. Same thing's true today. If you notice, there's kind of this this positive and negative, right? I know I just talked about the negative first, judgment for non-Christians, judgment, judgment for self-righteous, people who don't think they need God. But here's the deal. It's also, in one way, 
a nice thing because it is revelation, right? The word revelation means revealing, revelation for seekers, people who want to know about Jesus. That's why he includes that phrase, to, for him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Basically saying, if you understand what I'm saying, take it to heart. Or, or if you don't understand what I'm saying, ask. Ask. Right? Who asks? Right? Only the disciples. At least that's the only people recorded. Right? A lot of people heard this parable, but who are the only people that asked? At least the ones recorded. Right? The disciples. They're the ones who had ears to hear. Because even though they heard it and didn't understand it, they sought out the truth. They sought out, saying, what, what is Jesus talking about? I want to understand. What parables do is they shut the eyes of people who don't want to see, and they close the ears of people who don't want to hear. Is that a weird thing? Right? When I tell stories, it's not usually why I do them. Right? That's the reason we're talking about parables, because usually most people think parables are just super easy for us to understand. They're good kid stories. In fact, they're actually not. They're actually hard to understand. And not even that many parables are given an explanation, but this one is. And that's why one of the reasons I want to study it with you this, this weekend. So here's the deal. You get the thumbs up. You get the revelation, the extra communication from God to people, the people who want to know more. Parables are a way that Jesus gives it to them on a silver platter, but it's also where he closes the platter shut. I was just in a hotel. Uh, I'll tell you the story. I was just in a hotel. I was roommates with Pastor Rod, and um, we had $50 of credit of room service every day, $50 of credit. The first night we got there, we got there at night. We got there late, so we're like, what are we going to do? Pastor Rod orders $52 worth of dessert, cheesecake, milkshakes, creme brulee, all this stuff, $52. He ordered like four things, like and it was $52, Pastor Mark and Pastor Doug, they ordered 60 bucks, so they had to pay some extra. Anyway, we had all these things. Guess what they came in on? These cool silver platters, right? And when they're open, they're great. But when they're closed shut, there's no getting in there, right? especially when you're rooming with Pastor Rod and Pastor Doug and Pastor Mark. Right? They're going to get out of first. Anyway, um, that's the idea. This is Jesus coming in, putting the truth on the silver platter for people want to know. But what do they have to do? They have to open it up. People who look at the platter and it's covered and it's got that thing, they're like, ah, there's nothing in there. There's no dessert. No $52 creme brulee in there. Right? There's nothing in there. Right? It's because they don't believe. It's because they don't trust. They don't trust that the person who's bringing it has something for them. These people are proving that they didn't really trust in Jesus. And for the people who have ears to hear, people who want to open it up and find out, God reveals the truth to them. Look at verse 16, back in our passage. Matthew 13, 16. This is after that quotation. In your Bibles, it might go back from all the indenting to a normal paragraph. It says, but blessed are your eyes. For they see. Right? What did he say about these people? Or what do their eyes do? Their eyes don't see. Right? And then he says, And your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Noah, Abraham. They would love to be sitting there listening to these parables. Did they ever get that in their lifetime? No, they didn't. Right? Not until Jesus tells these parables did they come out, so to speak. It's like the new iPhone, right? It's got to come out. You've got to reveal it. Jesus provides revelation for seekers, but here's the thing where we need to answer. What is this parable about? Okay? Jesus has answered the question, what are parables? He's answered, why is he telling parables? But I want us to understand what is this specific story parable all about? Keep reading. Verse 18. Check it out. This is Matthew 
13, 18. It says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word, the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what has been sown among the path, right? He's going to go on to describe three other types of soil. We call this the parable of the sower or the parable of the four soils, four soil types. The first type is this path. That's what we're going to study tonight, the path. This is the soil that is much like concrete, right? If you threw, imagine you're throwing seed out on your field. Let's imagine this room right here. Let's imagine the floor is hot lava, right? But instead of hot lava, it's a big field, okay? It's a big field, and I'm in the middle, and I'm throwing seed all over the place, and I want it to get evenly spread out, right? Am I going to hit the target perfectly? Absolutely not. I want to actually throw it so far that it gets all the way up to the edges, and when I get it all the way up to the edges, there's some overflow, and that's what happened. When these people would sow their seed, the first thing they'd do is they'd find their land, they'd plow their land. So what that means is they'd take all the rocks out of the soil, they'd take all these things out, they'd try to make sure the soil is as good as possible, they'd plow it, which means you take that, you know, that little, like, triangle shovel thing that kind of would go behind, like, an ox or a donkey or something, and they like, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right, right, right. They're kind of going through, right? They do that. Then after they do that, they start walking around and throwing the seed really far. They want to throw it to all parts of the land. They want to make sure every row is covered with seed. It's better to throw more seed than you need than less seed. So imagine this person's throwing their seed everywhere, and some of it gets to the edges, gets to the edges of the property. And what's on the edges of the property? It's like a little highway, a little walkway. Right? And if you can imagine what dirt's like um, when it's a desert, right? You walk on the side of the road, right? There's a dirt road. Is that pretty good for seed getting through that, that soil and getting into the ground and starting to grow stuff? Absolutely not. It's never going to get there. Right? In our modern day, well, what would happen is someone would step on the seed or maybe a car would run over the seed or whatever. But what he says is the birds come pick it up. Right? And what he says the birds are representing in this passage, it's like Satan comes and grabs the word. Right? People who hear sermons, they hear the gospel preached to them, and they say, no, I don't want that. What happens? Jesus says that what Satan's going to come and do is come take that word from you. Every time you hear a sermon and you don't respond to it correctly, here's what this is saying. Satan wants to come and take that away. He wants to take the memory of it away. Right? That's why we say take notes. Right? It's one of the reasons we want you to retain the information. So that when Satan comes and wants to take it away from your heart by distracting you, by causing you to sin, by doing everything he's going to try to do to make you not want to apply or listen to the sermon or listen to the gospel preached to you, we want to make sure we're combating that. I want you to imagine that all the people who've ever heard the gospel, all the people who ever listened to sermons, they're like this path right here. Like this path. That's their heart. Seed is thrown on it. Something, a message is given to them, and then it's taken away. Right? What are parables about? Well, this parable, first thing for you to know is that this sower is representing an evangelist. That's a good way of putting it. It's representing Jesus as well in this passage, but an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who comes and preaches the gospel. That means that they tell you the good news that Jesus lived for you and died for you and rose again for you. And that's that second thing. The seed is the gospel, right? That's that second bullet point underneath point number three. The seed is the gospel. Here's the deal. In this story... You find some truths about what the gospel is like. And it's interesting that we see this. 
Romans 1, 16 says is the gospel is powerful. Here's what Romans 1, 16 is. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God, right? When you put seed in the ground and you water it and give it all it needs, right? Do you have to send it some computer code to grow it? After doing that, no. Do you have to, I don't know, like take it and stomp on it and, and build it and you know design the tree? No, you don't. The seed has power. When the seed is taken care of and in the right place, it grows. That's the picture that Jesus is trying to paint. That when the gospel, when the good news comes from someone who gives it, right? And in this case, it's Jesus. But in, in our case, it's whoever's preaching to you. It's whoever's leading your small group. It's whoever's sharing the gospel with you, right? They're going to give you this powerful message, right? But what happens with it? What do you do with it? If it doesn't sink into your heart deeply, if it kind of goes on the edge and gets taken away, right, it never penetrates your heart. When you think through sermons you hear right, back at home, when you come to the narrow time and time again, when you hear sermons, when many of you, we've talked about becoming real Christians, where we've said to some of you that maybe the reason you're not becoming a Christian is because you have a hard heart. We sometimes use that phrase. This is where we get that phrase. We have a hard heart. That if we hear the truth about the gospel and say, no, I, I love my sin too much. I don't want to respond now. Or we say, maybe when I'm older. You know, maybe when I'm an old person, maybe right before my, my death, right before all that, I will make a decision at that point to follow Jesus Christ. Here's the idea, though. The seed has gone in your heart, and it's bounced off because you have a hard heart. That's what the Bible describes. I want you to think through what you do about what you here in these sermons. Last thing, the soils. So there's four types of soil. The, the path, the shallow soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. We're only studying this one tonight. But the hard path, this hard soil, just like all the other soils, represents the hearts of the hearers. It doesn't just represent the hearer itself. It represents the heart, the condition of your heart. Here's the thing. I can preach the same message to two different people and get two different responses. Right? Is the message different? I told you that um, there's a Sephora closing, um, 70% off everything. What? what Br- Brayden, why didn't you care about that, man? That was really, that was good. Dude, Alex, you didn't even respond. You didn't even care, right? right? Why, Kate, you don't even know what that is. Right? That's the idea. I can preach the same message to two different people, Right? Saw Lauren get excited about that. Lauren got excited. Alex didn't care. Right? You guys don't sin too. Like it's like the same message. But what what was the difference? Right? The condition of who you are. You you're the difference. Right? The message isn't the difference. Right? Some of you say, well, I think that Jesus can forgive some people's sins. Can't forgive mine though. Right? Same message. Same truth. Right? What's the difference? It's your response to it. Just like if I talked about a 70% deal at Sephora, half of you guys are like, I don't care. Uh, what's Sephora, right? Some of you don't even know. I only know because I'm married. Um, I actually knew before I was married about that one. I have to, I have to tell the truth. Sephora is a big deal to some girls. Uh, anyway, um, some of you don't care about that. Some of you get really excited about that if that was true. Your response is different because you come from different contexts, different backgrounds. Some of us have heard the gospel a lot of times, right? I grew up in church. Maybe you grew up in church. Some of you have grown up with parents who have told you from the time you can remember, hey, you're not a real Christian until you repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. Some of your parents have told you that for your whole life. 
But the sad reality is for some of you who have heard that and have had the seed thrown on your heart, you've got a hard heart and you've said, nope, 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 nope. Here's the deal. I want you to ask yourself a question tonight. It's actually on the back of your worksheet. This worksheet is part two, two sides to this one. Next question I want you to ask, the last question I want you to ask tonight is, is your heart hard like this path? Is your heart hard like this path? Are you represented by the path? When Jesus talks about these different soils, is he talking about you when he talks about the hard? So you might think, well, I'm not obviously not a hard heart because I go to church. I'm obviously not because I keep coming. I keep trying to obey my parents. I don't have a hard heart. Here's the deal. Like I told you, who were the people Jesus was talking about here? Think this through. Why did Jesus start telling parables? Think, think back. Right? Who rejected him? Right? The Pharisees, right? Were they good people or bad people? Right? They're bad people. Did they look good or did they look bad? What did the world say about them? Good. You're religious. You know the, they knew the Bible better than probably the disciples knew the Bible at that time. You realize that, right? They knew more about the Bible. They understood God. Like, they're good. They're church kids, right? But Jesus calls them the hard path, right? So obviously going to church doesn't make you one of the, the good soil, right? Doesn't make your heart right. right? Having good parents doesn't make your heart right. You know, the Pharisees, what, the, what we have at least learned about them is they would memorize the first five books of the Bible before they turned 13. Did you know that? The first five books of the Bible memorized by heart before age 13. Guess what? They had good parents. They had parents who taught them the Bible. Right? Did that mean that they were saved? Did that mean their heart was good? Not at all. And here's the deal, guys. When I was yours, when I was sitting in your seats, my heart was hard. It's hard. Because do you know what I said? I said, I will become a Christian later in life. I'll become a Christian when it's convenient for me. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll work this whole situation out where, you know, I'll tell God what to do, and I'll, say, I'll tell God to, you know, push the pause button for the next couple of years so I can do a little sin, so I can try a little thing, so I can wait till I'm older, and that's what I'm going to do. Right? And maybe some of you think the same things. Maybe you've never admitted that, but maybe that's what you're thinking tonight, and you know that I'm talking about you. Being a good church kid does not mean your heart is not hard. In fact, sometimes people who are church kids have hard hearts. Here's what Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says. It says, we can make our hearts even harder when we keep on sinning. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I hate when the trash can gets too full. I don't always take the trash can out. What do I do? Push it down, right? You take that plate that you're throwing away and you just like push it down and say, well, my mom will get this later, right? You know what I'm talking about? Right? Still kind of do that a little bit. Um, Except I'm the main one who takes the trash out now. So now I have to feel like I have to deal with it. When you push the plate down, what that is called is suppressing the trash. Okay? Does it get rid of the trash? Does it make the trash go away? Absolutely not. You know what it actually does? You're putting more trash in the trash can. And you're going to do it again, and guess what's going to happen? It's going to be harder to do. And each time, it's going to get more and more and more. And that's the idea. What this says is you can suppress the truth about becoming a real Christian and being saved. You can keep on pushing it down and saying, later, later, later. I'm going to sin. I'm, you could keep on pushing it down. But just realize that what's going to happen is, according to Romans 1, the rest of it says, and you know what God's going to do? God's going to give people over. 
He's going to say, okay, you want to keep pushing down? Fine. I'm done. Your chance is up. Just like with the Pharisees, I'm going I'm, I'm to be done. Some of you have pushed God away a long time. I don't want you to get to that point where you're constantly pushing God away to where your heart becomes so hard. Next passage, this is an Old Testament passage about the Israelites, but I think it really applies to a lot of us. Here's what God said about them. God said they made their hearts diamond hard. Right? What's the hardest element out there? What's the hardest you know, rock out there? It's a diamond. Right? It's funny that even back then they knew that. God said, you have made your heart diamond heart. I keep trying to pursue you. I keep trying to have you repent and obey, but your heart is so hard. It's like a diamond. Lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts has sent them by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Good news is that to people with hard hearts, God has a promise for you. If you will soften your hearts and if you're willing to turn and trust in him and give up your sin, here's what God says he's willing to do. He's willing to take your hard heart and make it a soft heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And imagine that. God says, I'll do some heart surgery on you. I'll take out your hard heart if you ask for it. If you plead with me, I'll take out your hard heart and I'll put in you a, a heart of flesh that will match your actual flesh. Right? Imagine if you had an actual stone heart. Right? Would it do what your heart needs to do? Pumping that blood. Right? Wouldn't do anything. Right? It's non-responsive. You'd be dead. Right? And that's what he's trying to say. In fact, in the next chapter, what God says through Ezekiel is he's like going to take this whole group of dry bones, a whole group of people, the Israelites who rejected God and who were dead. He said, I'm going to make them alive again. New Testament echoes similar promises for us. Jesus is willing to give us a new heart. Look what it says. It says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to obey carefully my rules. Notice that some of you say, I've tried to become a Christian, but like, I can't obey God. Like, I really try, I really try, I really try, but I can't do it. Right? Here's what needs to happen for you to really obey God well. It's not for you to try harder. It's for you to get a new heart. And that's the scary reality that, like, here's the problem. Can a dead person reach inside their chest, cut it open, take out their heart, do a new heart? No, right? You can't do that. Someone else has to do that to you, right? And that's the truth about having hearts that, that are in control by God, right? God can control the giving of a new heart. Only God can do something about that. What Hebrews chapter 3 says, another quotation from the Old Testament, Hebrews 3.15 says, Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. There's a time when the Israelites heard things from God and God said, look, you, you got to repent. You got to stop doing what you're doing. Right? You got to stop. You got to stop. You got to stop. Right? And they said, nope, 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 nope. I don't know how many chances they had exactly. You'd have to go in the Bible and count them up. Right? Here's a sad and scary reality for some of us. Some of you have had more chances to respond to the gospel than those Israelites had. Some of you have had years, some of you have had years of knowing the truth and not responding well and having a hard heart and saying, nope, don't need that. Nope, don't want that. I talked about the seed as the gospel, but I never really explained what the gospel is. Um, what I want you to know about the gospel, gospel means good news. And the good news of the gospel is that although your sin 
And your breaking of God's rules is such a big deal that God says, I will put people in hell forever. I will torture them for eternity for that sin. Even though he said he's going to do that. He also said that he's willing to punish his son, punish Jesus Christ in your place. He'll give Jesus all the hell that you store up. All the hell that you deserve for all of your lying, all your sin, all your lust, all the bad things you've ever done, all the bad intentions, all the gossip, all the slander, all of that stuff that we've done, you and I have done. It says he's willing to take that, pay for it, so that the payment is finished for you. The Bible says we need to respond to that correctly. Obviously, these guys didn't respond correctly. The Pharisees said, nope, don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. Some people in that crowd responded correctly. There's four soils. One's the path, one's the shallow soil, one's the thorny soil, and one's the good soil. <laughs> it's kind of a bummer, but the first three are not real Christians. There are no real Christians in the first category, no real Christians in the second category, or the third category. Only the fourth category, the good soil. Those are the only real Christians. You can't be a partial Christian with the thorny soil, or a partial Christian with the shallow soil, or a partial Christian has a hard heart. You can't it just doesn't work. You're either all in or you're all out. Here's how God calls us to respond to that scary news about our sin. He calls us to repent. That's a word I've used a couple times, but what repent means is to turn around, to change your ways. It doesn't just mean to change your mind, right? It starts with a change of mind, but that's not real repentance. Real repentance happens when you show your repentance, your change of mind by your actions. When you say, yeah, I know that I'm a, a sinner, Right? And we talk, start talking about those sins, you say, well, I lie, right? Or I, I cuss at school. Right? Repentance is not doing that anymore. What Jesus said is you need to repent of your sin. That's the first step. And believe in the gospel. That all happens at one time. What happens when you believe in the gospel is believe that for yourself, not for your neighbor, not for me, but you believe for yourself that Jesus has paid for your sins. Some of you think that, think, yeah, Jesus has paid for people's sin, but has he paid for my sin? If I said, are you confident right now that 100% sure that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he took your place? Are you, are you confident that when you die, you're going to be with him because you trust him completely with your whole heart? Right? If it's a, yeah, I don't know, I know, I'm not sure about that. I don't think so. Right? Probably one of these soils. Maybe not the hard path, maybe not the thorny soil, maybe the shallow soil, I don't know. But we're going to talk about this week and in small groups. I want you to identify what soil you are. I want you to figure out, are, am I a person that's hardening my heart? For some of you, you know you're this first soil. You hear the gospel and say, I'll become a Christian later. Or I'll become a Christian when I'm older. Here's the deal. God's not promised you any of that time. If anything, right now, so everything in our world is happening, you should realize that tomorrow is not promised for you. I don't know if you're going to go to prom. I don't know if you're going to get married. I don't know. Can't promise that. I've had middle school students in this county from our neighborhoods this year, 2020. We've had them die, some in traumatic ways, some due to sickness. That can happen to you. That can happen to me. I would hate to see you tonight again keep pushing down the trash and keep telling God, no, I don't want to respond. Because it says at some point he's going to give up. And he's going to say, fine. Jesus promises that if you call on his name, if you ask him to save you, he's willing to save you. He will not turn you away. Hebrews 7 says that he's able to save to the uttermost. That means he's able to save the furthest sinner, the worst sinner. 
there's nothing that you've ever done or ever could do that would disqualify you from that and say, oh, you're unsavable. I'd hope that this weekend would be the weekend that some of you finally stop pushing God away and stop pushing down the trash and finally say, I give up. I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to trust in you, Jesus. Trust that you lived for me and died for me and rose again. I'm going to trust all of that, and I'm going to live for you for the rest of my life. That's what we're going to be talking about this weekend. So important. Let's pray. We're going to break up into small groups. God, please help us understand this. I know that um, some of us right now, as they hear my voice and they are praying with me, they know for certain that they have hard hearts, that they've said no to you. Pray that they'd realize what a helpless situation they're in, that there's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can do to save themselves. There's nothing they can do to till the soil of their heart to make it soft. There's nothing. All that they can do is ask you to change their heart. That's all they can do. God, it's so amazing that you've promised for everyone who asks you to do that, you'll do that. Everyone who turns and trusts in you, you will save that is not a promise you had to give. We're so thankful that you did. I pray that tonight as we open up our Bibles to Matthew 13 again and look at Ezekiel 36 again, I just pray that you would convict some of these students' hearts. And I just thank you for the hearts that used to be hard in this room that are now soft. People who tried to convince themselves they were a Christian for a long time and finally recently came to the realization that they're, they weren't, that you softened their hearts. Pray that you would soften some students' hearts tonight to talk in small groups. That you continue to be good, continue to save some sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.